What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. You're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is Matt. I'm joined by Ben. And Ben, good day. Hey, guys. Good day. Good day to Uh, you. We have a really exciting... Top of the morning. We we always ask for listener feedback. Um, That uh, sweet voice you hear do the outro. It's actually Ben's daughter. I don't know if we've ever said that before. Mm -hmm. Um, Ben's daughter, Raina. And she invites you to share ideas with us. And one of our listeners... I still like think she's like nine. I know. (laughs) No. She's not nine no. anymore. She's no, not, not nine. definitely not nine. Yeah. She's, we would she's not our, let her uh, no. be up at uh, college. She's already <laughs> she's already totaled one car. So definitely to the the nine. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, no, but she. Uh, so anyway, we she invites <laughs> you to share things with us. And uh, a yes. friend of the show, Jenny, who lives in Sweden, uh, she's a pastor in Sweden. She emailed us and introduced us to a friend of hers, a person that she knows, who is a, a Swedish professor of theology, Stockholm School of Theology. His name's Joel, Joel Haldorf. And Joel is a Swedish evangelical, Pentecostal, in fact, and he's written a book about the rise of Pentecostalism in Sweden. And, and in this series of being a Christian in America, I thought, wow, what if we got an evangelical Christian from Sweden to look at, what do you notice about American evangelicalism, dude? <laughs> You yeah. know, just give us like an insider slash outsider look and tell mm-hmm. us what you see. And yeah, so this yeah. interview is fascinating. We're going to link an article that Joel wrote in the show notes that expands a bit on this interview. I highly encourage you to look at that. He's got a book mm-hmm. he published too. But he lifts up the hood mm-hmm. of our car. And I just had the picture of, you know, like when you like you look at, um, <laughs> you know, those uh, expose shows when they go to a hotel room and you look at like a, a comforter or the or the duvet and it's fine and they turn the lights off and they turn the black light on and you see everything <laughs> the black light reveals you know like honestly i feel like joel shines a black light mm. on our culture and our faith and it's mm. so invaluable anyway yes i'm excited about this interview i had to do it myself you guys were busy saving the world and uh, loving people and i was just talking to joel yep. but uh but we have a few announcements things coming up that you can't miss or you could but you might regret it ben you want to share about those 
Yes, one of them is the Church in the Wild. Actually, this might be the only one, but uh, we'll see. Church in the Wild workshop. Um, it is coming up November 13th and 14th. This is an online workshop, so you can attend anywhere you live in the world, as long as you can uh, deal with the time difference. Uh, it's going to take place Friday night, uh, November 13th from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern, and then Saturday morning um, from 10 a.m. Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, and Church in the Wild is a workshop about Christian witness in post-Christendom. So what does it look like to be the body of Christ, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, uh, to be uh, an embodiment of um, a community that the gospel that, that believes the gospel? What does that actually look like when we're not in charge anymore, when we can't leverage um, our authority as the people who know what's going on um, who are going to tell you what's good for you. Like, I don't think probably nobody took that posture before, but um, we have had to learn as the church how to um, witness to the goodness of God from a place of not being automatically trusted or liked. Um, And so anyway, we're learning a lot about it and uh, would invite you to uh, come to that workshop. I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be really fun event. I'm excited to, I'm excited for the content uh, and also just excited that for the conversation that's going to come out of that, I think it's going to be great conversations and great talking points for all of us. Yep. Yeah. That, totally. That's a good point, uh, Hardman. This isn't going to be a webinar where you just log in and kind of watch it happen, but it's a Zoom call. And so we're limiting registration to the amount yeah, of people perfect. who can actually be on a Zoom call. So we'll, we'll have some interaction. Um, so we'll have teaching inputs and that kind of thing to kind of jog people's uh, um, thoughts. But after after we do that, um, we are interested in finding out what the learning is in the room. So so we don't know everything that's going to be said uh, because we don't know who's coming. So come yeah. and say something. Yeah. <laughs> your with us, uh, and, and it'll be part of it. So that's uh, looking forward to that. There's a link to that in the show notes, or you can just go to gravityleadership.com slash church, and it'll give you a link to this specific workshop. All right. That's C-H-U-R-C-H. C-H-U-R-C-H. Capital C or lowercase C. (laughs) Doesn't matter. (laughs) Gravityleadership.com slash church. With no no further uh, jiggery-pokery, here is Joel Haldorf. Joel Haldorf, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, Joel is the Associate Professor of Historical Theology at the Stockholm School of Theology. He researches evangelicalism and modernity, historical pacifism, Pentecostalism, and worship in the evangelical tradition. Joel has recently had a book uh, that was translated into English, uh, published called Pentecostal Politics, in a secular world. Uh, Joel, that's all the nitty-gritty details here. What am I missing about Joel Haldorf? Well, you know, every life is a long journey, but we shouldn't uh, spend this podcast uh, into the details there. But I think you you got the formalities right. Yeah, I'm from Sweden. Uh, I've been quite a bit in the U.S., I have some family there, uh, and I've done some. Uh, I've done was a visiting scholar at Duke University uh, mm-hmm. back in 2008. Actually, the 
the Obama year. Uh, so <laughs> so I've been yeah uh, back and forth some since. Okay, just uh, parenthetically, uh, you're you're on our pod. You're the first Swedish person on our podcast. Oh, what an honor! Uh, Thanks. <laughs> and we have a mutual friend. Uh, Jenny is a Patreon supporter of the podcast, and she connected the two of us and said, "Hey, you're doing this series on how to be a Christian in America. I think you should talk to uh, one of my professors, Joel. Mm. Um, he's Swedish." And I was like, "Well, what would a Swedish person have to say about?" what it means to be a Christian in America. And then I read some of the things you've written about the history of evangelicalism and Pentecostalism in Sweden Mm. and how that is uh, distinct from um, the history of evangelicalism and Pentecostalism in America. So Mm. maybe we'll just, I mean, this is a huge topic, Joel, and there's lots of things to get to, but maybe just uh, as we sit here in 2020 and you look across the pond to America, what, what, strikes you as most um, distinctive about the differences between Swedish evangelicalism and American evangelicalism? Yeah, so yeah, that's a huge question. Perhaps if I if I answer it like this, that I, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church here in Sweden. Uh, I am fourth, my like father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all Pentecostal ministers, pastors. So oh, wow. I, I know the movement uh, pretty well and I'm uh, like deep into it uh, in my in my upbringing and so and and of course there's a strong connection also to the United States to both Pentecostalism and evangelicalism I mean we we would sing the same worship songs we would read um, uh, the same like um, uh, big evangelical uh, writers like um, Bill Hybels and and all yeah. those figures they are translated, but there's always been one thing that Swedish evangelicals have a hard time understanding when it comes to their U.S. counterparts, and that is politics. Uh, it is very very different, um, and and that's um, I mean I discovered it. My first year in the U.S. was the 2000. Uh, I, I tend to be there when there is an election. I don't know, but that was the <laughs> Bush Gore. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that was a that was a. I mean, uh, and I talked to my relatives and friends, and I just like I could not understand how you could use the Bible to like support welfare cuts or promote uh, the right to have guns. I mean, where I come from, evangelicals are mostly pacifists. Uh, and uh, mm. and we we tend to, I mean, be culturally conservative, but uh, uh, economically, I mean, historically at least, we've been economically progressives uh, and mm. not wanting a small state, wanting a Christian state, but the state that sort of like takes care of the poor and everything. So, so that's, mm. uh, I mean, we speak different political languages. Yes, okay, so then I hear like some big differences here, and I want to double-click on these, because uh, it's fascinating, in your writings you detail this a bit, why, historically why this is the case. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned violence, mm-hmm. um, guns, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the role of the state in mm-hmm. taking care of the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, just a few clarifying questions for Americans. We don't know anything about America, let alone the rest of the world. <laughs> um there often is thrown around in America that Sweden is a socialist country. Is that is that true? And what's true about that and what isn't true about that? 
Yeah, so we've had a strong, I mean, for, from the 1930s to the 1970s, Sweden had a, a, a almost uninterrupted uh, social democratic government. Uh, and that meant an expansion of the welfare state and a rather high um, level of taxation, uh, relatively speaking. I mean, not, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, very few, like, uh, no limits of freedom. Uh, and so forth, but but some areas have been state regulated that are not in the same way regulated in, in the U.S., such as media, uh, TV, and radio broadcasting was not privatized until the 1990s. Uh, mm. After the 1980s, a lot of things changed, and uh, and Sweden is, uh, moved more in a even more like uh, a politically liberal uh, direction, as did all of Western Europe. It was the Thatcher and Reagan years and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so today you wouldn't. I mean, we have a, we have free healthcare, uh, free higher education, uh, and some things like that. But it's not like. I mean, the comparison with Cuba or Soviet Union. I mean, that's just uh, that's just not realistic. That's a caricature or a, maybe a pejorative boogeyman. Yeah, definitely so. Yeah. 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 So let's talk then about how evangelicals in Sweden, it sounds like um, evangelicals in Sweden are more associated with uh, with the left than the right. Yeah, I think you I think you should I mean, as an historian I like to understand these things by sort of telling a story. And I think you need to go yeah. back to the sort of like emergence of evangelicalism or the breakthrough at least in the 19th century. Uh, and then you see that there's quite similar political uh, instincts in the US and in Sweden. I mean the the evangelical movement in the US hmm. is also uh, is rather progressive then working for social justice, uh, working uh, against slavery. Uh, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. work of Charles, revivalist Charles Finney, who is famous, uh, and yeah. who, like, women's rights and so forth. Uh, and, and the same in Sweden, that evangelicals come from below, lower-class background, and they, they want a society that is more democratic and that is more just. Uh, so in that sense, they share uh, the political instincts of of the left. They don't want a revolution, so they don't share the methods. Uh, they they end up hmm. in the in the political liberal camp, uh, so sort of in the middle between the conservative and the and the the socialist. Uh, but they are uh, they are definitely I mean more inclined. They they are they have much in common with the workers' movement. That's also of the nineteenth century. Yeah. And so then Sweden became a democracy and it left sort of a, a monarchy. Is that is that the historical arc? Yeah, exactly. So the the democratic breakthrough in, in Europe and in Sweden is around the year nineteen hundred. And it's a it's a slow and steady walk from from monarchy to uh, democracy. And I mean here is also a, a huge difference uh, from from the american uh, historical experience that that uh, i mean the the swedish society of the 19th century is very unjust i mean there are big hmm. uh, um, would say finance uh, economic differences and so forth and yeah. there there is a sort of conservative elite 
of the nobility, the priests, the military, uh, the monarchy that wants to keep the system. Uh, but evangelicals in Sweden, and it's the same in Britain, uh, they they belong to a progressive uh, middle class, working working class, and they want to change this. And this creates mm. uh, an alliance between uh, the evangelicals and the labor movement uh, who both want the same thing. They want democratic reform. And, and that's sort of that stamps the evangelical movement uh, something that remains throughout the 20th century that they are uh, sort of liberal left-leaning i mean it's starting to change perhaps the last yeah. decade or so but we can talk about that later but that's the sort of like the instinct yeah so so let me see if i got the uh, the gist of this which is the the monarchy in europe and in more particularly in sweden mm-hmm. was aligned with the state church was it a lutheran state church yeah lutheran state church and they were the conservatives they wanted to conserve the power and the few and and the the strict hierarchy of the monarchy et cetera mm-hmm. et cetera and there were some pretty bad economic repercussions for people who weren't you know in charge mm-hmm. um and so then evangelicals found political advocates um, and uh, comrades, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) with the Labor Party, right? Mm -hmm. So the Labor Party, the the left, wanted to um, create democratic freedom Mm -hmm. and give power to people and have it be more of a democratic republic than, than than just a monarchy. And so the evangelicals and Labor Party aligned Mm -hmm. 150 years ago to, to advocate for that. And they really haven't split up uh, sense. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, is, that's a good summary. Yeah, which is a different story than in America. So <laughs> yeah, I know you've studied this. So how would you then? Could you tell the story of America and draw out the contrasts about how evangelicalism emerged within you know the last hundred years here? Yeah. So so you have a one thing is to to see the 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 role of the state in the different political projects where in the, in Sweden and in much of Europe the democratic uh, state becomes sort of a vehicle for reform and freedom basically hmm. while in hmm. the US you have a founding myth that is that uh, uh, freedom is freedom from the state because that's the pilgrims. I mean, they went away from yes. the the oppressive states of of Europe and established. So there's a strong culturally in the U.S. a strong anti-statist theme that is not so strongly present in Europe. Uh, mm. So 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 that's that's one thing. Uh, but then then you have um, some conflicts in the early or some in the early 19, uh, 20th century in the U.S. Uh, that strongly seem to shape the political instincts of U.S. evangelicalism. And that's one of the things is the fundamentalist modernist um, uh, conflict with the, with the Scopes trials and things. I don't know how much yeah. of common knowledge this is uh, to, to your audience. Um, yeah, I think most people remember in somewhere in their memory that there was a trial about Darwin Mm-hmm. Being teaching evolution in schools, it was a Scopes monkey trial, is what you're referring to, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there was two sides. One was the kind of the religious side of not wanting to teach evolution in mm-hmm. schools, and the other side was no, let's teach this this thing in schools. And and that that's the, where the modernist and the fundamentalist sort of had it was sort of the hallmark of the divide, or maybe the epitome of what separated that in America. 
Am I mm-hmm. getting the gist of it? Yeah, exactly. And that's the what uh, historian uh, George Marston describes as, as the great divide. And then, because then you have also theologically, when you look at conservative and and liberals, uh, you, you've had sort of uh, a broader alliance in the in the 19th century where they have been. Um, part of a sort of a, a, a progressive movement, uh, church-wise. Uh, but then you mm. split up, you have the fundamentalist or the conservative and the liberal uh, against each other. And mm. sort of the theme of social justice within white Protestantism ends up in the liberal camp. I mean, this is one of the great tragedies of, of church history that that <laughs> so, some themes that should be belong to Christians when the, Christ, the church uh, in general when the splits happen I mean it becomes located in one group uh, and mm. social justice becomes associated with, with the main line or the, the liberal churches and seems to be uh, neglected among the, the evangelicals and Pentecostals uh, and this, I mean, this does not happen in Sweden. It doesn't happen within uh, African-American evangelicalism either, uh, where mm-hmm. you have much more social progressive spirit uh, uh, among, um, in those churches. But that's also a, a very uh, uh, defining development in U.S. evangelicalism. Yes, the separation of white church and black church and yeah. how, how racism plays a role in that and just uh, various institutions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you have you have the sort of a, a loss of a social conscience, um, at least at least working for social justice. I mean, you can have sort of local projects, but working for social justice through the state is not something that that uh, uh, sits well with U.S. white evangelicalism, and they drift more and more into the Republican camp, and that's consolidated in the 1970s with the rise of the um, the religious right and moral majority yeah. and such organizations. Yeah, let me see then if I can summarize. So in Sweden, Christians, evangelical Christians, saw working with the state as um, as as helping them accomplish justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in America, uh, evangelicals, fundamentalists in the early 20th century, began to see the state as something that would compromise or be an enemy of justice. And mm-hmm. so this, you called it anti-statism, that mm-hmm. kind of runs through the American story. You know, I mean, we, we were born out of like sticking it to the man, you know, throwing yeah. his tea into the Boston Harbor. Um, and so that we sort of have this rebellious mistrust the state kind of streak, whereas that's not really a part of Sweden's story because the evangelicals were were um, at at the table helping construct a better state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- they were yeah, yeah, they were deeply involved in I mean they a lot of uh, rep- high representative in the in the parliament and so forth. And the group mm. I've been studying are, is one of the more radical uh, branches of evangelicalism, namely Swedish uh, Pentecostalism. Uh, and the leader there, Levi Petrus, he gets fairly early involved in politics f- for for being a Pentecostal already in the 1940s and 50s. Hmm. Uh, and he, he is, he is uh, critical uh, against the political devo- development in Sweden because he thinks they have taken a secular turn. He is opposed to secularization and wants to have a more like a morally conservative state. Uh, 
but mm. he's very clear that uh, he eventually founds a party in 1964, the Christian Democrats. Uh, but he, and he says that we should have sort of morally conservative culture politics, but we should ha- have a, a economic politics that is similar to the Social Democrats. So the expansions of the welfare state with with increased, I think, what's on the table then is more vacation and a shorter work week. They want to support that. Uh, so they get hmm. behind the the socialists, so to speak, in in the uh, in the financial questions. Yeah. So you're saying like the the more religiously conservative one got, mm-hmm. the more socially liberal they got as well. Perhaps not uh, more, I would say, but but it's the general. I mean, if you look at if you look at the evangelical vote in the uh, 1950s. Uh, uh, then you have 55% of them are voting for the Liberal Party, 30% hmm. are voting for the Social Democrats, and 10% are voting for the Conservatives. So it's quite heavily aligned with the sort of social liberal uh, political yeah. identity there. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it seems to be uh, across the board. Then the Pentecostals start to move a little more in a conservative direction uh, as the 20th century progress. But that's the yes. big picture. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. One of the other distinctions I'm hearing you talk about, Joel, that I think is fascinating is that um, there was never a time, it seems like, when evangelicals were divided about social justice. So social justice is part and parcel to what it means to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to care about how just, justice has worked out in society, <laughs> yeah. right? In, including the things that maybe get lumped into a liberal or progressive agenda, which is caring for the poor, providing health care, um, you know, um, yeah, those kinds of things. Whereas mm-hmm. in America, uh, so like... It's a, it's almost a religious slur nowadays to be called a mm. social justice warrior. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, if you, if, for instance, if you say Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, in some white evangelical spaces, many, um, you're a kind of a pariah. You're, you're sort of, a ver- it's verboten to say that. Mm. Um, and usually it's because, you know, Black Lives Matter has a... Uh, th- their website talks about they're trained Marxists, and this mm. is that like the worst thing you can be as a Christian right now. I think mm. pedophilia is still the worst, <laughs> but just <laughs> under so. that is being a Marxist. Yeah. Um, and so I-, I don't know if there's is there an anxiety in Sweden about that any of that, or is that a uniquely American thing? I, I think uh, the culture wars are are like becoming more and more. Uh, global and also mm. affecting uh, Christianity and um, uh, uh, 
society in general all over the world uh, and 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 to me this is partly why i want to write this book and, and emphasize this to to also um remind swedish evangelicals that you don't have to mimic uh, american politics i mean there is a rich heritage here because <laughs> of course what we tend to do is we 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 look at these movements uh, like black lives matter and and uh, like the social justice struggle and we um we define them by their most perhaps extreme um uh, examples and and yes. instead of just like i mean if uh, if we would just more like listen in what's the main message here it's that there is a structural racism in the usa and in many, many western countries that we need to deal with and mm. and we we might disagree of exactly where where that line begins and ends we might disagree about some methods but there is still a lot of common ground to be found in just that basic analysis and then we can just decide on war or we can decide on alliance and i think many christians and churches should try to decide on alliance much more than what's done now yeah well the the culture war that might not be a uniquely american thing but definitely it, it, we've exported lots of things to Sweden, and it sounds like we finally got you to buy into the culture war, too. I, I really am. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, we get some good things, too. Ben and Jerry's. Yes. I mean, that's. I mean, <laughs> it almost makes up for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some Cherry Garcia uh, makes the culture war feel better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so one of the things we hear a lot about in America, um, and it's, it's usually kind of spoken in kind of scare tactic and fear, is that there is this creeping secularism, you know, in mm-hmm. Europe, and, mm-hmm. and the bigger the state gets, the more secular it gets, and then the scarier that is for Christians, mm. right? Because the big, the big secular, um, even I'll use the word socialist because that's what's talked about here. The big secular socialist state, if they get power, they are going to strip you of your religious freedoms. And your freedom of speech, and your uh, all, all the all the freedoms you hold dear, mm-hmm. um, is is that a, is that particular to America? Do you experience any of that um, anxiety I mean, in Sweden? <laughs> we have a secular uh, political framework in Sweden and Europe, as you to some extent have in in the US too, and it, it there there seems to be uh, sometimes a move from judicial uh, bureaucratic secularism to cultural secularism that that mm. is something that we need to think about as churches how we handle because ultimately at least in Sweden the evangelical churches have been promoting a more secular state because they don't want they don't want to be discriminated by by the Lutheran state church and and huh. so forth so we've been we've been wanting that uh, and I think we should still want that but I think that we need to think about what secular means here that that it 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 should mean like an openness to pluralism uh, for instance that the state can cooperate closely with with churches and religious denominations and that's something that I've been trying to argue in the Swedish context because some say that well the, then the state needs to stay away from the churches so there is a, mm. a, um, a sort of conflict of inter- interpretation going on there I would say in Sweden yeah, uh, you just refer- uh, referenced kind of a, a dynamic that I don't think I'd thought about before, and I want to bounce it off you to make sure I'm hearing you right. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? I think you just referenced that that Swedish evangelicals and Pentecostals see the secular government 
as protection against maybe the hegemony of the state church. Yeah, exactly. So that's 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 a that's something that's very different than America. In America, mm-hmm. we don't have a state church, yeah. so we never needed the government to protect us as minorities mm. against a religious a religious majority that we didn't identify with. Yeah. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I wonder. So what that means is that in the founding of our country, we have this mythos in America that we are a Christian nation. This yeah. is this is part of. It doesn't sound like Sweden has that delusion no. to deconstruct and overcome. Am I am I getting this right? Yeah, yeah, definitely so. I mean, and I think that's a very important aspect to understand when it comes to the attraction of Trump and the culture wars, that Swedish evangelicals view themselves as minorities. Mm. So they don't have... I mean, there is some anxiety about secularization and pluralism, but not nearly as much because that's sort of... I mean, if the state would become like homogenous and just one thing, uh, that would threaten their uh, their space, sort of. Uh, so they want the state to be neutral and and to take a step step back uh, in these questions. And they un- so so that's why, like evangelicals, when you measure these things, are more positive than the average secular voter that to allow Muslims to to have be allowed to build mosques because they understand that religious freedom is uh, for all is the the condition upon which they i mean their existence depend, existence depends while it seems to me uh, that in America there is much more like I said, anxiety with the fact that if the yes. state becomes secular, if the society becomes pluralistic, we're sort of going to lose our standing in society, the wasp yes. identity and so forth. Yeah, so so there's a real there's a real power dynamic here, isn't there, Joel? Mm-hmm. In America, a re, a religious evangelicals have had, have white evangelicals have felt like they've had power, mm-hmm. and the state is a threat to that power. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Sweden... Uh, evangelicals and Pentecostals, white evangelicals and Pentecostals, never had the illusion that they had power, and so the state protected them against people that did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, there were, yeah, there were, there were, there was a long struggle for religious freedom and the the right to. I mean, Sweden was slow in that. I mean, it was not until the the the, the mid nineteenth century that you were allowed to not be part of the Swedish Lutheran Church, uh, wow. and full religious freedom was established only in nineteen fifty one. So that is something that has been like a a a, a long a long struggle, and and uh, that freedom has been sort of like the bedrock for i mean like i said what what makes our existence possible so that's something that we've been struggling for yeah this is um this has been a fascinating conversation joel i think for many of us in america our our conscience our consciousness of what it means to be a christian it's really hard to extricate it out of what it means to be an american yeah so they're so conflated and so um sort of synonymous in our minds that it really helps you to talk about, uh, you know, the evangelical faith in another country that, you know, have, we have the same doctrinal statements, maybe the same creedal confessions, the same commitments to Jesus and Scripture and God and those things, but there's such a different embodiment of what it means to follow Jesus. And I, I got to tell you, the people I talk to, especially since 2016, you know, you mentioned the election of Trump, 
uh, I don't think Trump changed things in America. He just he just made the contrast of what's always been true much more stark. Hmm. So he he brought the the blacks and the whites. I mean that in terms of not in terms of race, but in terms of <laughs> the 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 hues were much more uh, sharp, hmm. and we could there were less grays, and we could see things more clearly. I wonder as we wrap up here, Joel, what would you if you were talking to a family member who was trying to get their bearings in America of how to be a faithful Christian, but but engaged politically, um, what, what would be some of the uh, encouragement, some of the exhortations you would give us? In the U.S.? Uh, yes. Family member in the... Yeah, I Help think... us. Help us. We're your <laughs> brothers and sisters. We need your help. Yeah, I think, I mean... It seems like uh, the mission of the church uh, in in like through all history has been uh, the seen itself as the peacemakers. I mean that's what mm. what Jesus called called us to. And if you look at a lot many of the the rituals of the church throughout history uh, and in the liturgy today, uh, they they are uh, involved in creating peace. The the greeting of the peace i don't know what you call it in english passing yeah the yeah. passing of the peace exactly yeah. and the the fact that you have a meal there and so forth uh, so so i think that the church really needs to to mm. be a political body uh, just by being able to include and create Peace and understanding and, and a listening between uh, like different uh, like w- with with what would be political opponents, because I think we are living in such a polit- politicized time, uh, and uh-huh. the church is also drawn into politics. So we we define uh, each other after our political opinions and so forth. And here we have to find uh, other rooms where we can meet, sort of uh, beyond party politics, but with with repercussions and results for that. And I think the church can be such a room and that we can like show that this is, that it is possible because what's so evident when you look from the outside of uh, on American politics is that, I mean, the, the, the polarization, I mean, pushes the two sides further and further away from each other and, and makes the system very dysfunctional and makes, I mean, creates extremism. So, so that I would say would be the political task of, 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 of the church in the U.S. and so forth to, yes. to create the peace and, uh, in the churches. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you don't often hear evangelicals in America uh, advocating for and putting their stake in the ground with peace. Um, you, you, you don't, there's, there's kind of a militarism and a nationalism yeah. and, a, and, a, um, uh, maybe it's caught up in this American masculine kind of violent imagery we have, and we have mm. all these warrior images and soldiers of Christ images. And I'm, I'm just struck, Joel, that, uh, you're right, that our faith, our scriptures, um, our tradition, church history the flag is firmly planted in the ground of being a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And, and if we only knew the things that would make for peace, uh, that we would be saved from our violent, destructive ends. Uh, and so I receive that as a, boy, as a challenge. I'm just wondering, what would a political imagination in America for Christians be if we decided that 
making peace, reconciliation, if that became the thing that we were known by politically? Mm. <laughs> you know, um, and in in like uh, the other things we're known by, maybe if those were those were turned down. Um, mm. Well. Joel, this has been uh, really fascinating. I know we just scraped the surface of the things we could talk about, but I, I do want to just thank you. I think your the the brief sketches of history of Sweden and then America, and describing how even it's possible to be evangelical to hold to, you know, the doctrines and creeds and truthfulness of our faith that it can be it can embody a different politic, a different way of being in the world than what we usually see scripted in America. I think you've. Uh, really helped our imaginations maybe grow a bit today. Um, how can people connect with you uh, virtually? Are you uh, active on the socials, the social medias? Yeah, I have a Twitter account uh, at Joel S H. Uh, that's my twi- Twitter handle. I don't know how my Joel. It's my initials, Joel <laughs> Samuel Haldorf. Uh, that's that's what it is. Great. So um, so you can also just. I mean, I think there are two of us in the world, so you can just Google me, and then you'll true. find either this other poor guy <laughs> or me. You know, I have I have a I have a um, somebody's name's Matt Ebby, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and so my Twitter handle has three T's, Matt Tebby, but he his Twitter handle only has two T's, and his Gmail only has two T's. He gets all kinds of messages from me, so uh, I know what it's like to have a poor person that gets mistaken as you. Exactly. Uh, the book, the book again is called Pentecostal Politics in a Secular World: The Life and Leadership of I'm going to mess this guy's name up, Levi Petros. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Ah. No mess up. Oh. <laughs> good. Uh, Joel, bless you. Yeah. Thank you for being with us today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.